Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way. And that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast. We're so happy you're here with us today. We have a very special guest, Lauren Spieler. Lauren is an author and literary agent at Triada U.S. Literary Agency. When she isn't working or in quarantine, she can be found drinking lattes, pining for every dog she sees, or visiting her native California. She is the author of Your Destination is on the Left and She's the Worst. Follow her on Twitter at Lauren Spieler and Instagram at Lauren Spieler. You can also visit her website at laurenspieler.com. We'll include all of that in the show notes. Here's a little bit from her manuscript wish list. Lauren comes to Triada with a background in literary scouting and editorial consulting. She has a sharp editorial eye and is passionate about author advocacy. She's seeking middle grade and young adult fiction, as well as select adult fiction and nonfiction. Whatever the age category or genre, Lauren is passionate about finding diverse and underrepresented voices. In middle grade, she's drawn to heartfelt contemporaries, fantasy and sci-fi, and exciting adventures. In YA, she'd love to find authentic teen voices in any and all genres. She's especially fond of fantasy, magical realism, and space operas. Contemporary stories with a hook and anything with a feminist or intersectional bent. In adult, Lauren is seeking upmarket and commercial fiction, particularly female-driven psychological thrillers, immersive literary fantasies, and commercial science fiction and fantasy. She's also interested in unique nonfiction with an existing platform. She's particularly hungry for pop and counterculture books, cocktail books with a twist or a theme, or n- narrative nonfiction with a unique hook. We're so happy you're here, Lauren. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. So excited to have you. I mean, there's we haven't we've had a couple of uh, agent writers, yeah. and so it's so much fun. We're we're gonna try to spend some time talking about the agenting world, publishing, and writing today. So I hope cool. that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, we just wanted to ask, how are you doing? Like, like give us an update from you know, like this craziness. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I am in quarantine um, with. It feels like my entire family and everyone I've ever known. Um, (laughs) My husband is here, my dad, who's in his late 60s, um, and my younger sister and her boyfriend. So we have five people, but we're lucky enough to be holed up in a house that has plenty of space and we're able to go outside. So it's, it's a lot of people and a lot of meal planning, but on the whole, I feel very fortunate. Oh, we're so glad to hear that. Can you just give us a quick state of how you view publishing right now? Mm, it's a tough question. Um, and Jessica, I'd be interested to hear your answer too. My feeling um, is that people are doing their best to make this business as usual. That means different things for different people. I think it would be unrealistic to say that there's been no change in the day-to-day because we all are working from home, which is different. We are dealing, some of us, with loved ones that are sick or worrying about people that are far away. Um, We're all doing different kinds of grocery shopping, like our responsibilities, a lot of homeschooling. Things have just changed. And so I think the way people are working is different and the way it's affecting them is different. But I know that people are also taking refuge in their work. I know that I'm trying to keep 
normal hours to the extent that I can, because I find it comforting to bury myself in a contract. Um, like the things that I once might've complained about. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm so lucky that I have this thing to do so that I don't have to like scroll through Twitter for hours and feel bad. Um, but things are different. I know editors, things are kind of slow right now. Um, I've not yet seen firsthand how it's changing acquisitions. Um, I just closed a deal last week and I closed one at the beginning of March or middle of March. I don't know what, what is time. Um, but so things are still happening, but I do think that going forward, we are going to see changes. Um, and I would not be surprised if publishers do pull back a little bit on acquisitions just because the economy is, it's going to be affected by this. But for the most part, I think people are, should still be querying. I know I'm still very eagerly reading. And I, I do think that there is a lot to hope for and to be positive about um, because people are always going to need books, especially considering that books that are signed and sold now don't come out for two years anyway. So so things are things are still moving. They're just moving differently. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen a lot of people who are like, well, that's it. Publishing is over. No, like we're not no. there yet. <laughs> history, history is long in both directions. Like it, there will, we will live to fight another day. Um, I think it's just different. Have you, Jess, have, I'm curious, have you experienced anything differently? Like how are, how are you approaching the job? You know, um, I'm a little freaked out by the overly optimistic emails we're getting from publishers. That um, I don't love. Those I'm like, hmm. There's something, okay, yeah, there's um, something scary. To to us what that means. Right. Dawn at Macmillan doth protest too much. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> he just sounds, I mean, we, so we've been getting emails and editors, interestingly, I think are getting different emails than we are. Um, but agents and authors have been getting emails that are basically like, things are hard, but we're going to make it through. Keep sending us your books. And that's, that's true. But they, there's a, I don't know, there's a, chin up feeling to it that's nice but it also seems like they're not being fully open about like the struggles that are there I was actually more concerned about the very early ones that are like everything's fine we're yeah. up and running it's exactly the same guys <laughs> and I'm like no there's no way it's exactly the same um, and shouldn't be frankly send people no. home so luckily well, luckily they did and also think about the editors who have trouble with technology when they're in the office and have the IT team there. Right. Like asking them to work remotely and do all their edit meetings and everything remotely immediately seems unrealistic to me. I bet everyone's caught up now. But yeah, that just freaked me out how they're like, everything's fine. And I'm like, what are you hiding? <laughs> right now, I've talked to some people that have said that their teams were already they all had, I think it might have, well, I won't even say who I think it was because now I'm just going to be wrong. But they were saying that their team, everybody already has laptops that they are able to take home. And so, and they've already had video conferencing and things done in the past. So they were really set up to just transition over fairly, you know, seamlessly. Uh, whereas other people were like, I don't even have a laptop. Like I work, I do all my work at home and I have a Kindle and they've had to catch up. So yeah, I think house to house, just like agency and agent, agency to agency. It is very different. Well, but and I know for a fact, some assistants are helping out their bosses who 
double space by hitting enter twice. So like, (laughs) there's no No. way. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I'm sure they're going to sort all of that out. That is all a fixable problem. Um, And I agree that there's a lot of scary factual information out there. But I think taken as a whole, the overall mood of people in the industry, I think is long term optimistic. So no one should feel like they're falling off a cliff. But let's think about happier times. Lauren, I believe I met you for the first time at a bar that is also a flower shop. If yes. Am I remembering that right? Yes, that's right. In Brooklyn. You absolutely did. And I, I had known you earlier than that for two reasons. The first was that you were one of the very first agents to request a full manuscript from me. Wait, and really? So, I'm yeah. sorry. I don't remember. Oh, gosh. No, God, I'm so glad you don't remember. I'm so glad. Um, cause it was a, it was an urban fantasy that should never be discussed, but you, you did requests for me and luckily you did not sign that book, but it just meant the world to me. And so I've always like had a soft spot in my heart for you for that. But Aww. also when I was moving to New York, you had sent me a list of different neighborhoods and places to look where you thought I might be able to find somewhere affordable to live, which was also just so helpful. Um, I remember telling my dad at the time, oh, my friend who's an agent sent me a list of neighborhoods to live in. And he was like, oh, she's a real estate agent. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone in New York is an amateur real estate agent. But it's so true. I I like how Jessica, you're always like doing angel dust all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want anything bad to happen to Lauren because there's so many bad deals and scams out there. And you can't know unless you live there for a while. Yeah. Um, But I still maintain that like, agents are really good at reading tone. So I think you could like throw a bunch of Craigslist ads in front of us and we'd be like, nope, 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 oh, yeah. yep, maybe nope. Oh yeah. I went, I saw very few apartments. I looked at millions of ads, but I only saw about three places because you can, you can tell when something's sketchy really quickly. It's the number one clue is when they use that fisheye lens to make it look yeah. like the apartment's bigger than it is. And I'm like, walls aren't round like that. I know this isn't real. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, we we did first meet in Brooklyn when I had just moved to New York. Yeah. And so can you, I don't think many people start from the perspective of like, I'm a writer, I'm moving to New York, and I'm also going to get into publishing. Like, was it what you expected as a writer? Like, how how did that differ? Right. Well, so I, I started... I started as a writer, but I realized in the process of writing that book how interested I was in the publishing side as well, because I had to Google, like, what do you do with a book when it's done? And I discovered the job of an agent. And so I, I, I really, even though writing technically came first, it was only by about six months. So I moved to New York um, with for the not for the purpose of writing. I know that some people, there is advice that floats around that to be a published writer, you need to move to New York. And I'm sure you agree, like nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You should move somewhere inexpensive where you have time and quiet. (laughs) Yeah, I once heard, I think it was Holly Root said that the only thing you need is an airport within an hour and a good bookstore within 15 minutes or something like that. Oh, Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all you need. And I would add a coffee shop that makes a really good latte. But I think that's really all (laughs) all you need. Um, But so I moved to New York with I had done some um, remote internships for two different agencies, but I knew that I wasn't going to get a job unless I actually moved to New York 
So we did my then now husband, but then uh, boyfriend and I did that. And about, I think almost two weeks on the nose after moving, I got an offer from my now agent. So it, it was really good timing because I was able to go on interviews and be able to say, no, I, I'm not here to get you to represent me. I already have an agent, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I moved to New York to get into publishing and it was it was very different than I had expected. I mean, I had already experienced like the slush pile because of remote reading, but the day-to-day work of being in an agency or an editorial office, because I had an internship on that side as well. There was just a lot more administrative work that went into it. And it was really fascinating to see how houses think about acquisitions from a financial standpoint, like the profit and loss statements, the comp titles, all of that. It, it took, it's still a very subjective business, obviously, but it was really interesting to me to think about it through a more objective financial lens. And I think that was really valuable to me. And it's something I still think of now when I'm deciding about taking on a new client. And if I remember correctly, you did something very smart where you wrote to agencies that were not in New York and offered to be their New York outpost. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was something that I did after having worked in scouting. Um, but I knew that because working in scouting is so intense, I I sort of bypass the agent assistant level a little bit. Yeah, can you? I bet some people don't know what scouting means. Scouting, oh, mean. of course, it's it's like the best kept secret. So scouting, there are two different kinds of scouting. Generally, there's book scouting and there's film scouting. Um, I worked at two different firms that did both. So basically, what you're doing is you are reading books that are to be published in the United States with an eye to whether they would work well in foreign territories. So you're, you're reading something, um, let's say the hate you give, which like when it, when it is about to sell or has just sold, and then you turn around to your clients who are publishers abroad and you say, Hey, I think this book's going to be a big deal. You should consider buying the translation rights in your country. So you're, you want to tell this, let's say, Turkish publisher that they should go get the Turkish translation rights before their competition does. So it's a little bit editorial because you have to be able to say what a really great book is and why it's great and a little bit foreign rights. Um, so it was fascinating because I was reading you know, anywhere from two to four books a week and really got a bird's eye view. And I was focused primarily on the children's side um, with a little bit of an eye to film and TV. So I was doing that over the course of about a year and then decided, I had always known that agenting was what I wanted to do, but I didn't particularly want to go and be an assistant because I had already been working pretty independently. Um, And I had also been freelancing for a long time and I really had a lot of the experience I needed already. And so I did what Jessica said. I, I reached out. It was actually an idea that I got from my, our fellow agent, Hannah Ferguson, um, she and I both at the same time were like, we really don't want to continue being assistant level. Um, let's see what we can do. And so we reached out to agencies that were not in New York thinking that we could provide something by being based there. Um, and now it was super smart when she told me that I'm like, that is such a good idea. Thank you. Yeah. It worked really well. I, and I think now, you know, I still think there is a lot to be gained by being in New York and having face-to-face meetings, but so many people aren't there anymore. Um, I'm, I'm personally, I'm glad that I started there, but there are a lot of people that have very successful careers that are not there and have never been there. So things are changing a lot, but it was, it was a good path for me. 
Do you approach your own writing differently now that you're an agent? Ugh. <laughs> uh, yes. I wish that I could say that I approach it with more discipline, but that's not the case. Um, I think that I approach it with more of an idea to saleability, marketability. I think more about what is a, what's a really strong hook? What is a high concept idea? And that has changed the way that I frame the story. So I don't think I, I'm writing things that I wouldn't have written otherwise. It's more that I'm thinking about them in different terms and prioritizing different elements of them, if that makes sense. So Lauren, what do you look for in submissions and what makes you crazy? I think there are a lot of answers that everybody gives. Like what makes me crazy is getting things that I don't represent or getting things that don't get my name right or getting things that use comp titles that make no sense. Um, but those things are important. But my personal thing, I it, it frustrates me when people don't pull out the elements of their story that hook a reader. And, and I think that goes back to how I approach my own writing. Like I want to know what it is about your book that's super interesting and unique and high concept. If you tell me your book is about a girl who falls in love with a boy and their lives change, that sounds lovely, but it also sounds like every book I've ever read. Um, so I really want to know what makes a person's book special and different and unique, even if it's just something small, like a really interesting setting or that it's based off of a myth that I've never seen a retelling of, like whatever it is that makes that book stand out. I want to see that in the query. I definitely have passed on things that I wonder if I were to go back, if that thing was buried in the book somewhere. Um, but that has to be something that's done in the query. The things that I look for though, other than that kind of that hook, I really am a sucker for a great first line. It doesn't have to be, you know, you know how there are those lists of like best first lines in literature. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, Papa, where are you going with that axe? Like it doesn't have to be an incredible first line in that way, but it has to be something that feels specific. It has to have voice or a setting detail that's interesting or a plot point, like just something that grabs me immediately and feels like it is a line specifically for your book and couldn't just be used at the beginning of any old book out there. Yeah, the specificity makes such a big difference. Like, it drives me crazy when I look at a query and I think that it could describe hundreds of books. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain high concept for our audience? Yeah, high concept is one of those things where you know it when you see it. It's a little bit tough to, um, I don't have like a, a perfect one line descriptor. Um, but I would say that it's something that is built around a premise that that really pops. Like it is something that you can give me in one line. It's your elevator pitch that has everything up top um, that really showcases the highlighter elements of your story. Um, Jessica, do you have a better – I can like Google around and see if someone's put it better. No, I think that's fine. I just hope that someday someone comes up with a high concept way to describe high concept and I then know. we'll be set. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm totally going to Google around and try to find something so that when I get asked this, I don't have to sound like a dummy that's asking for something she can't describe. But it is, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to describe. Um, but, but I do think that using comp titles is a good shortcut. If you can say it's, you know, this meets that, or if you can say it's, um, like the new girl set against the backdrop of an intergalactic war, like whatever it is, but it's something that like immediately gives us an idea of the character and the, 
and the conflict in an interesting way that's eye-catching. Yeah, I think if you... It just has a certain energy to it, right? And I think, like the example you just gave, if there's an obvious contrast, that often helps in comps too, because then you get who the character is and she's in an unexpected setting. So you can't help but have a mental image. Right. Yeah. Agreed. You know, I just want to say both to both of you that I just took such pleasure hearing you guys muck around with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just you. Asking me, I'm like, I don't know. I can't describe it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's tough. I, I had a client recently I was talking to you about it and she she was like, can you give me like a quick and dirty summary of what high concept means? And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> but I can give you a paragraph along with examples. <laughs> I'm work so out. we're challenging you, audience. If you yes. can write us a high concept description of high concept, yes. we'll be happy. I want it. <laughs> so if there is one thing you could change about publishing, what would it be? Oh, it's location. <laughs> and I, I think that that would, um, that would affect a bunch of different things that also need changing. Um, because I think the biggest problem in publishing largely has to do with diversity and the way we spend money. But I think both of those things could be largely um, improved if we were to not be based in one of the most expensive cities in the country, if, you know, if not the world. Um, I think that more people would have access to it. I think we would not be have to spend so much money on rent. We could use that money toward, you know, advances and publicity and marketing. And I, I just think that um, New York is wonderful and I love it, but I don't think it is serving us well at this point. And I, and I think in a lot of ways it's holding us back. I also wonder if after this we will have proved that working remotely works and right. therefore it will be something that's on the table for more people. I, I mean, I think that everyone will know it's true and nothing will change. <laughs> but probably. You, you can <laughs> probably. That too much of a bummer, but I mean, yeah. No, even I think that's probably true. <laughs> just moved across the river, like just go into Jersey or like hop right over. I'm sure everyone would not mind, you know, taking the path, which is cleaner, nicer anyway. Or I'm like, go to Philly. People. That's, that's what it says. You could live and work here. Yeah. You guys could all just come. <laughs> will you make us donuts if we come there? I, I will Ooh. make you donuts. It's delicious. What kind of donuts? Um, oh my gosh. Do you I, make I, cake I make, or like the, like, what kind of do you make? I'm we a have, donut. We've actually done both, but we, we had, we had a little potato donut party Ooh. here once where we fried potato donuts in our backyard and all the kids in the neighborhood came. And did toppings. That was a good one. That sounds fun. Yeah, My family fun. makes a Greek donut that's called, it's a, it's almost like a donut hole. It's called Lukamada. It's oh, a, I love those with yes, the honey and the yes, nuts. And oh my gosh. Cinnamon. They're, they're my favorite thing. They're to die for. They're actually my favorite thing too. They're yeah, so good. They're great. So we're all in quarantine. So tell us what to read. What's your favorite book right now? Like what's, what's on your book mm. list? Well, I know everybody is talking about this one, but I really loved The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex mm. E. Harrow, which is an adult novel. Um, it's historical and it's magical and it just does all kinds of things you're not expecting. Twist tropes, like it's just really smart and lovely. Um, so that's if you're looking for an adult read. And I also, like everybody, was absolutely obsessed with Gideon the Ninth last year. I just found it. I forgot that I worked in publishing. Like I stopped, I didn't nitpick. I didn't think about like who published it and where, like I was so engrossed as a reader that I, and that doesn't happen very often where I can kind of like shut down that part of my brain. It was just such a fun read. So that's on the adult side. Um, 
And then, and I also am a big reader of thrillers and anything. I'm going to give one of my clients a plug, but my client, Wendy Hurd, has a book out at the end of last year called The Kill Club, which is basically strangers on a train, but queer and in LA. And it's just excellent. It's so good. Um, And then on the kids' side, I was really obsessed last year with Wilder Girls. Did you either of you have a chance to read that yet? You know what's funny? It's on my it's on my shelf right now. It's my next one. Oh, it's so I I really loved it. Um it was just really fantastic. And then there's a book from Sourcebooks. Sorry, you're getting a lot of answers. Um there's a book that just came out from Sourcebooks. It's by Juliana Brandt and it's called The Wolf of Cape Fen. And it is a magical seaside mystery for eight to 12. And it is just really lovely. It's one of those books where you read it as an agent and you're like, damn it, why don't I represent this? Like, I just absolutely loved it. So I would recommend that for young readers, but also for adults. Like I, I found the mystery difficult to solve. I was like really engrossed by it and impressed. So that's what I really enjoy listening to you talk about books. Oh, thanks. I think we should have you come on every once in a while and just talk about books. Well, that would be good because actually it would force me to read for pleasure more. Oh my gosh, that was great. So so Jessica, I'm wondering right now, this is kind of impromptu. um, So the first person that emails us, um, if they tell us which one of those books they would like and give us their address, we will mail them their book. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. So send us an email at academy at manuscriptwishlist.com and with the name of the book you want, and then we will follow up with the first person. So don't send your address yet. We will just follow up with the first person who does it. Ooh, that's so fun. Oh, that's a great, that's perfect. Yay. Yay. Oh, and if, if you're in the United States or a country, we can easily ship too. Yes. Um. So I loved the description you had of that book that was Strangers on a Train in LA, which was a very high concept description you had. Um, So it sounds like it has a lot of tension. Do you have a favorite writing tip for building tension? Yeah, I think that the easiest way to do it is a ticking clock. Having some reason why the character has to achieve their goal by a certain amount of time. But Mm -hmm. If you're looking, that's sort of the overarching answer, but if you're looking for ways to build tension along the way, you know, you've already established the clock and now you feel like you need to ramp up the tension in the middle, just make something go wrong. Like throw something in the way um, that really screws things up and makes that ticking clock even more of a problem. Um, I think that that is... That's my personal favorite way of doing it. And that works for any genre. You could, you know, it can be... If it's fantasy, it can be an explosion. If it's contemporary, it can be a fight with, you know, the love interest. Um, it can be a body count if it's a thriller. Like it, it really, whatever it is, just do something that stands in your character's way, but try to have it not be something random. It, it needs to be something that not only sets them back in terms of plot, but is a stumbling or a roadblock in terms of character growth. That was a great answer. So what do you wish writers knew from your side of the desk? I feel like with like five to seven years ago, that question, there were so many things, but now that Twitter is so gigantic, it seems like the the gap between agent and author has closed and they know a lot of the things I want them to know. Like for instance, just because I'm not responding to your query right away doesn't mean I'm not doing a lot of other things or just because I'm taking a break on Twitter doesn't mean that I'm not working 10 hours a day. But I, I think for me, 
the thing that I want everyone to know is that we want you to succeed because that's how we succeed. When I read a query, I want it to be fabulous because that's the way I'm going to fall in love with something is from the great query to a great manuscript to making that offer and hopefully getting the client and selling the book and writing off into the sunset together. So I think that's the thing is agents are, are on your side. Um, and that's really the name of the game for us. Like that's why we go into agenting versus editorial in a lot of cases is we want to be on the author's team and being the one that's, you know, fighting to protect them and get their work out into the world. So yeah, the, the short version of that is we're on your side. Were there any of the other questions that appealed to you? I know we kind of went off script today just because we figured uh, you would have especially interesting things to say, but we sent you the other list of questions, I yeah. think. Was there anything you wanted to answer? I don't have an answer to the Google loving level funding question, but it's such a good question. And it actually made me realize that I need to think bigger in my own approach because you, one of the things I really respect about you, Jessica, is that you're always looking at problems more globally and providing solutions that affect more people and not just you or your clients. And so this was a question. Did you write this question? Yeah. Yeah, it totally sounds like you. It's a no. It's a it's a great question, I, and I wish I had an answer. I'm going to think about it just because I want to know what the answer is. Do you have an answer? Um, it changes. I mean, <laughs> there, yeah. there are always different things. I think what I would probably eventually do, like my answer for today, I think, is that I would find a way to make it economically feasible to pay lots of young women around the world to solve the world's problems. Mm, that's a good answer. Um, so I think that that would be a great way that we would get education and work and connectivity and solutions um, and also empower a lot of the people who could really use the world's faith in them and that it would yeah. be faith deserved. Yeah. Um, I think so- my answer to this question actually sort of ties into one of your other questions, which was, if I wasn't doing publishing, what would I be doing? And it it probably would be something in democratic politics, specifically focused on redistricting and making like just improving the way that we vote and how fair our voting processes are, and also just making voting more accessible to everybody, no matter where they live or what their economic bracket is. Um, so maybe that's what I I would do. Hey, that's a great thing to do. Yeah, I don't know what that would look like exactly, but. Maybe I would just give all my money to Stacey Abrams because she's already doing really fantastic work on that. That's all. I think every time that we put positive energy out there in the world, um, we are creating opportunities for change. So even by like like saying it, even by saying, what if we all did this? Or what if we're supporting people? Or what if we're lifting them up? Or what if we're yeah. just being just kinder? I mean, like that is step one in all of this, right? And, and it, like... I know I talk a lot about how at the Manuscript Academy, that's kind of one of our goals. And just like that question gives us us a reminder of just the greater good. You know, it is publishing and it's publishing a book, but it's it's also sometimes like a much greater energy. And, you know, it was interesting when we started this, you guys were talking about like the state of publishing. and And I really believe like these kids right now that are all home and they're all doing digital stuff. I think there's going to be a really interesting, um, you know, pushback where like in my house, all of a sudden people are writing letters. They're writing letters by themselves. Yeah. I think the one thing that we can count on is that the, this sounds corny, but like that the human spirit is overall indomitable and a lot of really great art and thinking and improvements and progress are going to come out of this and maybe not right away. 
But I do think that we will, there will be a silver lining. There will be good things that come out of this, but it's not just going to happen on its own. We're all going to have to do a lot of work in the coming months and years to recover from this experience, but also to, to change the world so it doesn't happen again and so that we create more opportunities going forward. But I, I do think that we have the capacity to do that. And I feel lucky that I work in children's publishing because we are sort of on the forefront of that. We get to provide the books to the kids that are going to change the world. I just got all warm and fuzzy when you're doing that. I like place to end. I was like, yes. I told you it would be publishing or politics. Absolutely. <laughs> the podcast is like the best. Um, so fun. Yeah. So next week, we are so happy that you and Hannah Ferguson, who you mentioned yeah. as your friend and also very clever at getting jobs, um, yes. <laughs> that you guys, you guys are both going to be doing a query panel for us. And we cannot wait. And that's part of our five-day query workshop. Do you have a, a little bit of advice or encouragement to give people as they go into this experience and work on getting their best query possible? Yeah. I, so I actually, and I can send a link if there's an easy way to share it. But when I was still an intern, I wrote a blog post that was all about how to write a really succinct uh, query letter. And if you just Google my name, Lauren Spieler, and the phrase, the dreaded query letter, you will immediately find that post. And I still, people are still coming to it over and over again. And I think it's been about seven years now, but that post really has all of my tips for writing the query. Um, but the biggest one that I would say is just really focus on what makes your book unique and stand out and build from there. Make sure you're telling us about the character and the conflict and the world, but make sure that somewhere in there is that one element that makes your book really high concept and really exciting. We'll inc include the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about our workshop, you can head to try.manuscriptacademy.com slash query. Lauren, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you both. This was really nice. It was a nice break from quarantine. <laughs> Thank Thanks, Lauren. This is great. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>